You're listening to teaching from the Word of God, provided by Black Forest Chapel. This is the church where you will find biblical teaching and authentic worship with family and friends. We are located in Black Forest near Monument and just north of Colorado Springs, Colorado. We invite you to join us this Sunday. Find our location, worship times, and more at blackforestchapel.org. Morning, church. Jerry Reed's supposed to put wheels on this thing, so if you ever see me grab it and then just take off on the other side, you'll know he's actually completed that project. Not yet. Well, it's good to see you this morning. Uh, If you have your Bibles, you can open to Exodus chapter 14. We're going to continue on in our series in the book of Exodus. You know you're out of shape when carrying a pulpit 10 feet wins you a little bit. You need to work on that. Um... So we've been in a series uh, starting at the beginning of the year, and I believe it's been helpful for all of us as we've walked through all of these difficult times. And certainly Craig just covered a bunch of it, and, and it's nice to remember and to, and to recognize that we are not the first uh, that goes uh, first generation, the first um, even within our country to go through difficult things, and even the things we're going through now aren't really that difficult compared to many other things that other countries and other people groups go through. So it's all about perspective. It's all about the fact that God is the same even when things change all around us. And so um, <clears throat> the book of Exodus has been a book for us to remember. God wants to be remembered. He wants his name to be renowned. He wants all of the things that he's done, all his great salvation, the deliverance of his people, to be remembered throughout all generations. It's his name that matters. It's his work that matters. It's his glory that matters. God's all about his glory. And we've talked about why that's okay, why that's a good thing, because he is morally perfect in every way. All of his attributes are on display in this story. And because of that, we, we should be worshiping and praising him and giving him glory. The problem is we want to approach the Bible and we want to come to God's word and we want to focus on ourselves. And when we look and survey the land around us and all the things happening, we really focus on ourselves. Instead of focusing on what is God doing, what is his purpose, what is his plan, what's best for us, so that we might bring him more glory, not ourselves. Whether we, whether we like it or not, you know, mostly, hopefully unintentionally, but we still contend with the flesh as believers and we still try to steal glory from God. We want to be known. We want to be recognized. We want power. We want authority. We want money. We want status. We want everything to make us feel better. And God wants us to be holy. So happiness and holiness don't always go together. But when we are moving more toward holiness, when we are obeying the Lord and he's sanctifying us, we have greater joy because we're being more and more conformed into the image of his son. We are pleasing our heavenly father when we grow in faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. And so the Exodus is to help us remember who this great God is. We've been looking at the doctrine of God. Who is God? Because he wants to be known. And he's making himself known to Egypt. He's making himself known to Israel. And hopefully you are learning more and more about our Heavenly Father as we've walked through this. The other thing that's really helpful about Exodus, uh, as far as remembering Exodus, the Exodus, this this big event, and we're coming to the, the, the parting of the Red Sea, the crossing over the sea um, uh, this week and next week, is that really it's the gospel message on display for it. It's a narrative version of the gospel message being laid out in front of us. If you think about what's taking place here, God has chosen a people for himself, right? And why did he choose them? He chose them because he loved them. 
because it was his decision to do so. Deuteronomy 7 helps us with this. Deuteronomy 7, verses 6. He says, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. It's a set-apart people. God has set them apart for a purpose. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. It's, God's people are his treasured possession. There's a, it's a beautiful picture. We, we skim over these words, but we got to slow down a little bit. It was not because you were more in number than other people than, that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping his oath that he swore to your fathers. So God loves Israel because he loves them. And as followers of Christ, those who put their faith in Jesus Christ and are part of God's family because of the blood of Christ, we, God chose us because he loved us. And so we have a chosen people loved by God, but they're foreigners. They're sojourners. They don't have a home yet, right? Because they belong to God. They don't belong to the world any longer. And they're in bondage. They're in bondage to this, to this foreign nation. And they have no way out. They've been there for over 400 years. And they're also under the sentence of death. We saw in the 10th plague that God killed all the firstborn in all of Egypt. And Israel was susceptible to that plague. That was the first one where they were actually in play here. They had to have faith and they were saved. They were sheltered. They were protected by what? By the blood of the lamb and the wrath of God passed over them, right? And then God provided a mediator to lead them out. He provided Moses, a mediator, right? A prophet, a priest, ultimately, but a mediator to lead them out. And they crossed over from death to life, right? They, they were delivered from bondage into freedom to be God's people. And they're on their way to the promised land, but they're not there yet, right? They're on their way, but they're not there yet. Does that sound familiar? Does that sound at all like the gospel in the New Testament? Right? We're on our way. We're not home yet. And God promises to be with us. He's in our midst the entire journey. He, never, he will never leave us. We talked about it last week with the, the pillar of cloud, the pillar of fire, that God goes before us. He knows all the dangers ahead. He knows the direction we should take. We think we should go from point A to point B. God says, no, you're not ready for point B yet. We're going to take you over here first and then over there. And God's protecting and he's comforting. He's encouraging. He's leading the way. And he will promises to never leave them. He will never forsake them. And we're on the same journey as believers. We're not home yet, right? And we're, we're not wandering aimlessly. God is moving us purposely. We are to be on mission. Wherever we're at, whatever job we have, whatever house we live in, whatever, whatever neighborhood we reside in, whatever state we live in, whatever country we're in, whatever, jo- whatever work God's calling us to do in the church, these are all things that God has, has purposed for us from the beginning of time. These are the good works that he has made us to do. And so we're to live a certain way as his people, and we're to live on purpose. And this is the story of the Exodus. And so when we read these, the story and we, we see Israel interacting with Moses and with, ultimately with God, uh, we see a lot of ourselves in the story, right? We see a lot of the same, like a mirror image of, of what it means to become a people of God. You start out really not knowing too much about him, but knowing that you need salvation. You cry out for help. And God comes and he, say, he hears and he sees you and he, he knows you intimately. He's created you before the beginning of time. And there's, that's, a, that's a great promise. That's a great truth in the scriptures. And then he comes and he saves and he delivers. But there's still, there, there's this progressive sanctification that takes place. You are justified before a holy God, right? You are forgiven of your sins. You are considered holy positionally with God. You are currently seated in the heavenlies because it's already done. God, he's already won. The, the, the game's already over. Because God sees everything. We're just waiting patiently, as John talked about. We're supposed to wait patiently. And it's hard to do that in this world. But that's, our, that's what we're supposed to do. And so there's great hope 
that we have. And so we are to grow in our faith. And all of us have different degrees and levels of faith. And we're to, we're to engage with our gifts and do the work of the ministry related to our faith, right? But we're to be growing progressively. As we see God do, as we learn, learn more about who he is and know him through the scriptures, as we walk with him, as we obey him, we begin to grow in our faith. And that's what's happening in this, in this story. And so in chapter 14, we come to this pivotal event in the, in the history of the, of the Israelites as well as in the story of the Exodus. There are some stories that stand out more than others, right? Um, if you were to ask, what are the big Old Testament stories, you would think of what Noah's Ark probably, right? And we think of some funny-looking ship with giraffe necks sticking out of it and all, all the, the kids' version of the story. But this was a judgment on the entire earth. And only one righteous man and his family survived that were given shelter. And the God started over with them. And so, yes, it's a children's story, but if you, if you read it in detail, it's, it's a grim story of the nature of sin and how much it displeases God. So if we have a bad theology of sin, if we think sin's just, ah, this is a mistake I made, just, uh, it's just a hiccup that I had last week, ah, it's just this, it's fine, it's, you know, it's everyone, everyone makes mistakes. No, sin is an affront to God, it's rebellion against the living God, it's, you're an enemy of God as, as sinners. And so Christ saved us from that. Now we are friends with God, we, we belong to Him, we are adopted as His children. We are brought from darkness into light, right? We were dead in our sins and now we are new creations. So God has done an amazing work here that we're going to be celebrating the incarnation of Christ here coming up in a few weeks that we shouldn't take lightly. This is important stuff. And so the, the Israelites coming to the Red Sea and having the sea parted, this is one of those big miracles. Maybe Jonah and the whale, maybe David and Goliath, all these images that we, we think of this, this story of crossing the Red Sea as this major biblical childhood story, but it, it has great implications for us that we're going to see. Crossing over on dry land, having walls of water on either side. It's an amazing picture, a complete miracle. But the big piece here is that there was no way out. God moved his people to have their back against the sea and have an army approaching them from the front. There was no way out. There was no way to save themselves. But God made a way, and he crossed them over from death to life. He saved them, and he had his final judgment on Pharaoh. Let's read uh, chapter 14, verses 1 through 20. We're going to take half of the story this morning. Um, I will leave you with a pseudo-cliffhanger, unless you, in case you don't know the story, but... Um, they, they make it, all right? If, and if you're watching the recording, you can pause and go back. Just so you don't, no spoiler alerts here. Let's read 1 through 20. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of Pi-Haharoth, between Migdal and the sea, in front of Baal-Zephon. You shall encamp facing it by the sea. For Pharaoh will save the people of Israel. They are wandering in the land. The wilderness has shut them in, and I will harden Pharaoh's heart. He will pursue them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And they did so. We'll pause here for a moment. There's just um, some details I want to talk through as we get down to the, the main piece of the, uh, of the passage for this morning. We see that they are they're camped in Etham. They were, they were at the edge of the wilderness. And remember the pillar of fire, the pillar of cloud. This is a, um, the Lord, the, the, the angel of the Lord, the angel of presence. God was with them and he's leading them. Right? And there was comfort in that. There was great encouragement in that. And I, I think it's, it's interesting to me as I've been studying this week, um, as far as what do we need to hear from this text? What, Lord, what, what, is, what are your people here at Black Forest Chapel? What do we need to hear this morning? Um, 
And it was interesting. I think the last several weeks, uh, everyone has been kind of low. Uh, we've all been tired, beat up. I think post-election, there was a lot of adrenaline. <laughs> there was a lot of um, just, we were all kind of fired up in anticipation and expectation. And then, and then depending on which which uh, political persuasion you're on, there's, 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 regardless of either side, there's kind of a deflation. There's a, there's a sense of fatigue. And then, and then having COVID numbers going back up and all the lockdowns and things happening around us and school closures and, you know, sports teams not, I mean, all, all the different things that are just difficult now. Everything is off. Um, just noticing that everyone is very low, right? And everyone's just tired and kind of down. And I think um, by God's grace and without really um, planning too much of this in his text, um, we've been looking at the God who is an encourager, who's, who is leading, who was last, last, last couple weeks ago, just the idea of going before us, that there's seeing that pillar, seeing that pillar of fire and cloud must have been such a great, just like I said, you come out of your tent and you're in the morning and you're kind of worried about what the day's going to look like. And the, there's, there's the Lord, right? He's with us. So, so he is, he is a God who keeps his promises. He's, he's done all these great things and he's, he's, he's got us out of bondage and out of this bitter, harsh, ruthless slavery for over 400 years and, and he, and he did all these amazing things in Egypt and, and we don't know where we're going, but, but he's, he's, he's taking us somewhere to this promised land, this flowing with milk and honey. And so, and so there he is. All right, good. Because how hard is it to, to just shake off 400 years generationally of slavery? of being told what to do, of having taskmasters, being beaten, being abused, being maligned, really not being able to do much of anything for yourself, but only serving another master. And so they probably had to start to adapt to this idea of freedom. What does this even look like? And so God's presence there was what they needed to see, right? And so being encouraged, being comforted, knowing that God is going before us, that he will take care of us, this is a great, this is a good thing for us as his people, especially when we're low, when we're not feeling too great about things. And then as we come to this morning, the sermon title, Fear Not, Stand Firm, Be Silent, Go Forward, has a little bit different ring to it, right? There's something about, okay, um, I understand you're hurting, I understand you're, you're tired, and I will comfort you. But at some point, we have to stand back up, and we have to start moving forward again. We can't just sit in that forever. Um, when I've discipled um, other guys in the past, I think there's been, there have been times when I sit across the table, and we have a cup of coffee, and um, they're going through some really difficult things, some heavy stuff. And it's not for me to push anything on that particular day or maybe that week or maybe even that month. Maybe they just need to hear someone. Maybe they just need to hear someone speaking some truth to them, but ultimately in love. Um, they just need a presence. They just need someone to hear. They just need someone to put their hand on their back and just encourage them. That's a good thing. Just pray with them. Help them through that time. And then there's other times when sitting across the table after maybe months of the same conversation and, and having to say just really openly, honestly, once again, truth with, with love, because I love you, you just need to stop. You need to stop complaining. You need, you need to stop worrying. You're, you're living in fear now. God will comfort you. He'll encourage you, but he ultimately will exhort you. He will call you to stand and to walk again and to go forward. We're not to live this life of fear and to shrink back from all of these struggles. And I think that happens sometimes in our families. We, um, 
you know, our, our, whether our spouse or our children, um, they're going through a difficult thing, and we just need to help them through it for a time. But ultimately, after a few days of pacing around the house and looking miserable, we have to also say, you know what? Let's go for a walk. Let's 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 get out. Of the house. Let's let's go talk about this. Let's let's go do something. Let's get your spirit kind of back. Because you're not meant to live and just kind of walk around with your head down all day long. And so this, hopefully for you and for us this morning, is to lift our heads back up. To look to the everlasting God who's in control of everything. He's calling us to not shrink back in fear. Because, you know what, there's going to be another thing that comes right over the, over the horizon. There's going to be another mar- army marching toward us. Are we going to be ready for that? And so God purposely, because he loves his children, and for multiple reasons, there's lots of things happening in this text, he puts them in a very strategically difficult position. He puts their back to the wall. He puts their back to water. And there's, there's no way for them to get through that on their own. And in front of them, facing all they have are, um, is desert. All they have is, is essentially the, the marching uh, army of Pharaoh that is to come. And so number one, he puts them in, in, in a position lovingly, to help them kind of shake out of this, to, to teach them who they are, and once again, to teach them who he is. So he puts them in a very difficult position. And then Pharaoh, he says, for Pharaoh will say of the people of Israel, or Pharaoh will think. God knows what Pharaoh is thinking. He knows what Pharaoh's going to say in his private quarters. Doesn't that give you rest and comfort right there? He knows exactly what's going to take place. Pharaoh's going to say of the people of Israel, they are wandering in the land, and the wilderness has shut them in. So Pharaoh's got people looking around. He's, he's, he's watching this people that just, his, their God just destroyed their entire nation economically. They are, they are ruined. Their water, their food, their livestock, right? Their own health. Relationally, their firstborn in almost every home was killed. Religiously, all of their gods were defeated by the one true God. And so Pharaoh's watching this, and he's watching them wander around. Like, where is he going? Have you ever watched someone come out in the parking lot, especially around Christmas time, and they're carrying their bags and looking for their car, right? And you just, sometimes if I'm sitting in my car or having lunch or something, I'm watching these people, and it's, it's sad, but it's just hilarious at the same time. They're just like, no, that's not my car, and, right? And, and, they, and then you have like 20 people who tie ribbons around their antenna, because that doesn't help you, and... They're just wandering around, and you're, you're kind of like, what, what's going on? They obviously don't know where they're going, or what they're doing. And Pharaoh's like, they, maybe God has left, maybe their God has left them. Maybe this divine presence, this divine help, because he's watching them wandering around, and he says, the wilderness has shut them in. Look, look at where they, look at where they're camping. This is, this is not good for them. So Pharaoh's already getting in his mind. He's already getting a second wind. I mean, he just lost his firstborn. And so did his entire nation. He just lost his country in large part. And so maybe it's an act of retribution, but the whole idea here is it's the hardening of sin. It doesn't let up. People don't give up their sin. Only God can break the power of sin. And so he's seeing them wander around. And, he says, I will, and then God says, I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them. So God is also doing the work on Pharaoh's heart. And I will get glory over Pharaoh. This is God's purpose. And all his hosts and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And we keep seeing this over and over and over again. He wants the glory. God wants the glory. And, and when we read the Bible, as I said earlier, sometimes we just want to read about ourselves. What's, what's in this for me? This book, all of this, God's word is about him. It's focused on him and on his salvation, on his son, Jesus Christ. 
So as you watch characters come and go in the, nar- in, the, in the narratives in the Old Testament, and then as you go to the New Testament, Moses comes on the scene, and Moses is a prominent character for sure. But even as Moses was done kind of arguing with God about who's going to talk and what, what's going to take place, Moses just started obeying, and then God was just in the picture. God was doing all of the work. And even though Pharaoh came on the scene for a moment, they're, they're all going to be, once you turn the pages, those characters are gone, and God remains. Joseph was a, he took up a lot, a big portion of Genesis, the story of Joseph, Genesis 37 through 50. We went through that together. Major character. God, we learned many things from this young man and how God used him. Ultimately, his bones are in a casket being carried around the wilderness now. He's off the page. What is, what is to remember about these people is their, is what God had done in their life, how God used them. And so we go to the next character. The next, God is the only one who remains. He is the central character. He is the hero of these pages. And so we have to remember that this is all about God's glory. And hopefully we're understanding that God's glory is so important to him that it should become very important to us. How am I aligning my life? How am I reprioritizing my life so that God will receive glory from my life versus just what I want to get out of it? And all the things happening in our country right now are... There are more inconveniences to us as Americans, as American Christians, than they are really um, any type of... Uh, they're not devastating us to, to the point where we should be crushed as we feel. Does that make sense? I think we're, we're walking in such a low state because some of our potential civil, civil liberties are being stepped on and infringed upon. People are maybe, maybe governing bodies and authorities are testing the waters to see how they can control us over time. They can't control anything apart from God's hand. He is in control of all of these things. And if God allows governing authorities to continue to over, overstep and overreach, we have a voice, we have the legal system, we have voting. If, if that's taken away, ultimately we have God in the end. And if he chooses to do these things... It's for a purpose. And I, I just wonder, if you're like me, that this was an awakening of sorts, all the political unrest, this COVID thing, everything, of how much I put my trust in, put my hope in, how much I needed or um, identified with worldly things and with people. That I, that I put my trust in, in governments and in authorities and in certain political parties. And I put my trust in, in, in other things that maybe I shouldn't have versus, because, because when I, when I watch a news cycle and I leave that time crushed and devastated or angry and pacing the house, there's something wrong. Yes, there's injustice in the world. It's a fallen world. <laughs> that shouldn't be news to any of us. These things are going to take place. God said they would. And so how am I reacting to it? I haven't been watching the news lately. Every once in a while, I'll turn it back on, and within a few seconds, nope. And because there's just nothing new on there, right? And thankfully, there's college basketball, there's been NFL every day of the week because they keep rescheduling all the games. And so there's other things to watch if I just need to kind of relax. And um, and watching my team is good and bad at the same time, and so that creates a whole other level of sin that needs to be dealt with. But... Ultimately, though, it's, it's better that I wasn't, I was so fixated on those things and without realizing I was putting all my hope and my trust in what, what's going to happen next and who's going to do what. And versus now I'm just spending more time in God's word and spending more time talking with him and watching things that aren't necessarily, um, um, political. And, and ultimately I, I feel like I have a lot more peace. I'm not focused on those things as much. <clears throat> and so once again, it's not about us. It's about the Lord. He will get glory. 
And so how are we reorganizing, recalibrating our life? He recalibrated the entire nation of Israel. He started their calendar on a certain day. He wanted everyone to remember who he is and what he has done, that, that they all shall know that he is the Lord. Verse 5, when the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the mind of Pharaoh and his servants was changed toward the people, and they said, what is this we have done, that we have let Israel go from serving us? So he made ready his chariot and took his army with him, and he took 600 chosen chariots. So he took the special forces chariots, apparently, and all the other chariots. So he took those chosen and all the other, he took everybody with officers over all of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the people of Israel while the people of Israel were going out defiantly. The Egyptians pursued them all, Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen and his army, and overtook them, encamped by the sea, by Pi Haharath in front of Baal Zephon. So Pharaoh's mind was changed. Even even in the, the, the wake of economic and relational and religious catastrophe in his own country and his own nation, even at the loss of, of all of his, all of the firstborn in Egypt, his mind was changed. And God also hardened his heart because God wanted glory over Pharaoh. He wanted to finish and complete the judgment of these of this people, of Pharaoh and of his army. And so he sent everything. And anytime you see a battle in the Old Testament, just look at the numbers and look at that what God allows uh, as far as um, the, the, the warring nation, the enemy nation coming after God's people. And typically God, he wants, as, he wants the people to be in the most vulnerable state as possible so that he what receives all the glory, right? Look at, look at the life of Gideon. No, no, you have too many guys. You have too many. Get, get it. it doesn't matter. God can do it by himself. It's just he's, he's using people. He's teaching people. He's showing that he is the God. The battle is always the Lord's, right? At the end of these stories, the Lord saved Israel that day. We see that over and over and over again. Even as David stepped before Goliath, he says, the battle is the Lord's. The Lord has delivered you in the hand of Israel today. It's, there's, there's a confidence. There's a faithfulness because he's seen what God has done. David saw how God delivered him from the, from the paw of the, of the bear and the paw of the line. And so God's going to do the same thing now. And even if he doesn't, it's because he's God and he can do whatever he wants. There's a faithfulness that comes with walking and seeing and knowing. And we should have that as well as we walk as his people. We should, we should do know that Jesus Christ died for you, that he, that he saved you from your sins. He defeated the power of sin and death forever, for eternity. You belong to him. What, what can man do to you now? Nothing. So what does it matter if your favorite coffee shop is closed? Who cares? That's why Keurig exists, right? <laughs> Half of our kitchens are coffee shops anyway. They have all kinds of fancy stuff, and you've got 15 creamers in your fridge, and right? You, you know, we are so inconvenienced, and it feels like this heavy thing, and they're persecuting us because I can't get my cappuccino in the morning. and all. That. No, they're, yes, there's civil liberties, and people are fighting against those things, and we'll see how that plays out, and we are to pray, and we are to do our, our part as citizens, and we are to vote, and we are to have a voice, and the legal system is, is in front of us to use, but we're not to fear. We're not to let this shrink us back. And so Pharaoh's coming again, and he's coming with everything that he has toward these people. But the people just saw God destroy this entire nation in front of their eyes. Remember, they had the launchers out in Goshen, and they were watching this whole thing. The, the fireworks, the, the crazy, the, the, the plagues, the judgments that came upon the people. This is it's amazing what they just witnessed. And sin is relenting. Their taskmasters want them back, right? And what happens next? Verse 10, when, when Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes. And behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, it is because, is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? 
What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. Look at their response. What do they do? What, what do we do when we think we're resting, where we're finally by the sea? God's, God's brought us out of this thing. And we feel like, okay, the Lord's, I, I watched him do this stuff. This is really, it was really amazing what God did. I didn't think he could do that. And we begin to settle and, and rest and get back to our life and doing chores. And the, you know, Israel's by the sea and they're setting up their camp and they're, they're having food maybe and they're, um, they're, they're eating the unleavened bread and the kids are playing ultimate frisbee with the unleavened bread and they're, they're having a good time right there. They're, they're just decompressing a little bit, all this stuff. And then, then they hear this rumbling and the ground starts shaking and the noise starts rising and the dust clouds and the, right? And then, and they look and that pillar of fire and cloud is still there, but, 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 but something's coming here, and they see this incredible army coming over for them, coming after them. They've heard stories about Egypt going after other nations, and they've maybe seen the training and the, uh, of the army, but they've never had them coming at them like this. And what did they do? They feared greatly. They shrunk back. They, they don't have faith. Where's their faith? They just watched God do all these amazing things. It reminds me of the, the story in Matthew 8 of the of the disciples with Jesus in the boat and the storm came up and Matthew 8, 24 through 27 says, suddenly a furious storm came up on the lake. Furious storm, it was a squall so that the waves swept over the boat. So you can imagine that the boat's not that big, right? The boat's just, I mean, if you've ever been in a boat just in a, in a mild storm or heavy waves, I mean, you're already feeling it turn a little green. It's not a, it's not a pleasant situation. You're watching lightning. But this is like a, this is a furious storm. This is a squall. But Jesus was, what was he doing? He was sleeping. Obviously, a lot of us get tired. A lot of us can sleep through noise outside. Maybe we can sleep through some, the kids playing downstairs. I don't know. But, but sleeping through something like this would be very difficult. The disciples went and they woke him saying, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. And he replied, you have little faith. Why are you so afraid? Then he got up and he rebuked the winds and the waves and it was completely calm. The men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. It's a great picture, a great example, a great test for the, the faithlessness of the disciples. And I think we feel the same type of thing, right? Why was Jesus sleeping? Because he's completely safe in the arms of his father. Nothing can touch him apart what God lets touch him in his life, right? Jesus was completely safe. That squall was like a nice sound machine for Jesus. He didn't, nothing bothered him because he's safely, securely in God's hands. God's with him. He knows that. And the disciples will come up and they're, they're, they're panicking. And now going to the Lord in concern and praying to him and saying, Lord, I'm, 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 I'm fearful here. And would you please, that, it's a, there's a different spirit about that. There's a faithful prayer of dependence where we, we, we are, we hopefully are growing in that as believers, but we go to the Lord and we say, Lord, I really, I'm, I'm afraid right now. And I don't want to be afraid, Lord, because you're in control. And we speak truth. And we are in God's word, and so we don't allow it to shake us to the point of running away, of responding like the Israelites responded, maybe like the disciples responded. And Jesus cried, why are you so afraid? He rebuked the winds of the river. He's in control of the wind and the waves. My question is, did Jesus just go back to sleep then? Was that like an alarm clock? And he's just, right, did he roll back over and go back to sleep? Poor guy's so tired. His ministry never ends because the disciples were constantly looking to him out of fear. We see that change once they have the Holy Spirit. And we have the Holy Spirit of God. We should not fear. So they feared greatly, and the people cried out to the Lord, 
How do they cry out? Obviously, very quickly, maybe, maybe not with the right intent of the right heart. And then they go back and they blame Moses. Moses is God's man. Moses is God's prophet. Moses is, is, is identified closely with God. And so they complain to him, is it because there's no graves in Egypt? He's taken us to die in the wilderness. What have you done to us? Is not, is, uh, didn't we tell you that just to leave us alone, that we might serve the Egyptians? Didn't we? Th- I, I told you so, Moses. This is what was going to happen. No, if you look back in chapter 4 and back to chapter 5, after 400 years of, after crying out after all this slavery and, and harsh, ruthless labor, they were crying out to God. They wanted to be saved. They needed a deliverer. God heard them and he saw them. And what did they do? They believed Moses and they worshiped God. They believed him and they worshiped him at the end of chapter 4. And then in chapter 5, once the, once the labor got worse again and Pharaoh got upset and made things worse, then they got mad at him and said, you might as well just, give, you've given him a sword in his hand to kill us. So they lost faith for a moment, but they didn't say we want to stay here and serve. They were upset. It's amazing when, once we are freed from slavery, once we are freed from the, the power of sin, um, how quickly we can go back to it as a source of comfort in our life. How quick, how, how quickly does Egypt look to, look beneficial to us, right? They misremember what actually took place. And so they think, man, it'd be better for us to go back and serve these guys than to die in the world. We'd rather serve the Egyptians to the, and, and die in our slavery and be miserable the rest of our lives than serve our God in the desert and enjoy his presence. We'd rather go back. And then later they, they even start reminiscing about, remember how we sat around with these big meat pots and we had these great buffets and it was just, it was awesome. We had so much bread, we didn't know what to do with it. They, they just misremember, they remember only certain parts that they want to remember. They want to go back to slavery for some reason. They think there's a comfort there, but there's nothing there. So when God opens the, the gate to our cell, when he, when he unlocks our cell, we are no longer in prison and we step out, Right? And we see this world around us, and there's all these difficult things going on, and things start to get difficult, and things start to get hard, and we are persecuted because we belong to Christ. What do we want to do? We kind of want to go back in the cage, right? We want to go back to what we know, and we start misremembering what that was like. Suddenly, being under the wrath of God, being dead in our sin, is appealing for some reason. It's not. That's not what we're going back to. We're going back to the fleshly things that we enjoyed. That's ultimately what we're doing. We want to go back in the cage. Even though the, the door's open for us, we don't have to live in there anymore. Sometimes we want to go back. And God is calling us out. Don't shrink back in fear. Remember who I am. Remember what I've saved you from. And so here's Moses' admonition to them. This is his exhortation for him, and I believe for us as well. Through all of the stuff happening, through all the things that are going on in this world, through all the, the difficulties, God has brought us through it. We are still here. We have the privilege to worship and to gather in his name. For all the things that are taking place, there's been a low level, there's been a discouragement, there's been maybe some depression, there's been some other things, and that's understandable, and God is encouraging. He's with you. He sees all of it. He knows what you need. But now he's calling his people, and I believe he's calling us to, to, to not fear anymore, to stand firm, to see the salvation of the Lord. He's already provided it for us. Let's watch him do this in the world around us. And this is Moses' reply. And I love Moses' reply. Back in chapter 5, Moses was complaining to the Lord, why have you done this, Lord? You haven't even saved these people. And now Moses is, is, is he's definitely changed. He's, he's uh, grown in faith. Moses said to the people in verse 13, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians who you see today, you shall never see again. 
That's a great promise for these people. And some of them, if they're cynical or they're a little, maybe they're not too sure. Yeah, we're never going to see them again because they're going to kill us. Look at all these guys. They're coming over the hill. Yeah, Moses, well, you know what you mean. And Moses is like, no, 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 no. Listen, do not fear. Stand firm. God will take care. You're not going to see this is the final judgment on these people. And he says in verse 14, the Lord will fight for you and you have only to be silent. The Lord will fight for you. You have only to be, just be still and watch the salvation of the Lord. This is, the, this is a great definition of grace, unmerited favor. There's nothing they could do to escape. There's nothing they can do to earn their freedom from this army that's marching against them and this sea that's behind them. They are walled in. They are completely trapped. They are completely helpless. They are completely dependent on God. There's nothing they could do. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. I love that. Fear not. Stand firm. Just be silent. Just be quiet for a minute. You're letting these fears rule your mind and your heart and your, your words. Just be, just be quiet and think about who this God is. He will fight for you. And for us as believers in, in the New Covenant, the New Testament times, we, we, have a, we have a God who already he completed the work on the cross. We are free, and we are, we are on our way home, and God is with us, and his presence will never leave us. And we don't have to fear. God has taken care of everything. Back in Deuteronomy 7, there's a, there's a lot in the Old Testament. There's a lot as God's bringing his people to the promised land about not fearing. Back in Deuteronomy 7, he talked about that he, that, that, um, he has chosen his people. They are a treasured possession, that he loves them, right? And in verse 8, as uh, we left off, but it's because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers, that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. God redeemed his people. Christ has redeemed us. What's our response? Know, therefore, that the Lord God is God, that the Lord your God is God. Know that he is God because of what Christ has done. Know that he is God that fights for you. And it's not even a fair fight. Every time I see that the battle is the Lord and the Lord will fight for you, well, he doesn't even have to do anything, right? He's already won. There's nothing that can come against him. Know, therefore, that the Lord your God is God. Do you know that? The faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations and repays to their face those who hate him by destroying them. All of those who lie and cheat and steal and do murderous acts and are evil in this world and, and, and create problems for all of God's people and rebel against God's people and persecute God's people, they will pay the price. A judgment is coming. God will repay them. Vengeance is the Lord's. He will not be slack with the one who hates him. He will repay him to his face. You shall therefore be careful to do the commandments and the statutes and the rules that I commanded you today. And if we go up to verse 15, And the Lord will take away from you all sickness and none of the evil diseases of Egypt which you knew will he inflict on you, but he will lay them all on those who hate you. And you, will, and you shall consume all the peoples that the Lord your God will give over to you. Your eyes shall not pity them, neither shall you serve their gods, for that would be a snare to you. And here's the thing. This is about going into the promised land, about facing all of these nations and essentially facing these giants and the people that they fear. This is verse 17. If you say in your heart, these nations are greater than I, how can I dispose them? You shall not be afraid of them, but you shall remember what the Lord your God did to Pharaoh and to all of Egypt. So God is acknowledging that if you say in your heart, you're, you're, I understand, he understands our limitations. He knows, that, he knows what we struggle with. He knows that we're going to say these nations are greater than I. How can I depose them? How, all of the, the political structures in our country and in the world, they're greater than I. What can I do? What's, what can little old me do here in Black Forest? What, what, what's my part in all of this? 
We can say those things. We're going to say those things. But then what's our response? You shall not be afraid of them, but you shall remember what the Lord your God did. God has rescued you. He has defeated evil. The power of sin and death is over. He has won the war. We are seated in the heavenlies. We belong to him. We are his adopted children. If if God is a perfect heavenly father, he's going to perfectly protect his children. Always. You have nothing to fear. The great trials that your eyes saw, the signs, the wonders, the mighty hand, and the outstretched arm by which the Lord your God brought you out. So will the Lord God do to all the peoples of whom you are afraid. Moreover, the Lord your God will send hornets among them, and until those are left, hide themselves from you or destroyed. You shall not be in dread of them, for the Lord your God is in your midst, a great and awesome God. You shall not be in dread of them, for the Lord your God is in your midst, a great and awesome God. So with all that's happening and all the things you continue to see and all the discouragement and things closing down, and can we as God's people think differently? Can we not shrink back in fear? Can we not be in dread of all this stuff? If he is sovereign, if he is good, if he is perfect, then he is in charge. He will take care of us. What can we learn from this? All the things I don't like about this, Lord, are things that you need to rid out of my life. All the conveniences, the the Americanized Christianity that I'm so accustomed to, where I find my nice cushy seat and I have my nice shiny Bible and I have my nice, you know, coffee shop and I have all the things that I want, Lord. If you're going to take some of those things away and it's hard for me, help me with those things. So we pray and we ask for help. And when we begin to fear again and we watch some news again or things start to happen, we say, I remember what the Lord God did for me. I remember the power that comes through the Holy Spirit that allows me to live this life differently. I have the Holy Spirit of God living inside of me. I have nothing to fear. And then we read the scriptures. We open God's word. Israel, um, Isaiah 43. But now thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. Do you think you can ever, not that God has arms, but could you ever get something out of God's arms if if you wanted to hold on to it? Right? Is that ever, is God ever going to fumble? Is he ever going to take a misstep? No. I called you by name. You are mine. Fear not. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. So here's the key here. You're going to pass through the waters. The river's going to come up. It's, it's going to be right here. You might have to get a straw. I don't know. But it's, it's going to rise, right? When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Your Savior. Why, why, why is he doing this? Because he loves us. Yeah, he loves us, but why is he doing this? For his glory. Can we live differently? Can we read Ephesians 6? Can we put on the armor of God? Can we stand firm in these days? Can we do the things God asks us to do? Um, this is a repeat of many applications because it just needs to happen. Um, <clears throat> We are too busy. Our lives are upside down. We are not prioritized to worship God throughout our day to bring him glory through our lives. I'm just going to be honest with you about it. We're just not. We're Americanized Christians that are, that are running the race. We're on the wheel. We're getting from point to Our calendars are so full we don't know what to do with ourselves. Right? Sometimes we sit and just are overwhelmed by all the things we have to do. And so then we're paralyzed. And so what do we do? We find ways to numb that or to escape that through entertainment and through activity and through more adding more things to our calendar to help us with the dread of our calendar, right? This is what we do. It's, it's a sickness. It's a, it's a sinfulness in large respect. It's an idolatrous type of activity. We're, look, we're putting our hope on all these other things instead of reordering our lives so that, so that God is first every time. 
Because why? Because we are, we are Christians first. That is what is eternal, our relationship with the holy God. That's what lasts forever. Not your job, not your sports team, not, your, not the class that you're in. Most of you guys, well, I'm glad my class feels like it's lasting forever, right? No, those things, those things fade. The world, it's all going to fade away. It's all going to pass away. We are but a mist. We are but a vapor. We can make all the plans that we want, but only if the Lord wills will we accomplish them. And so we ask him, and we go to him, and we give him all of those things. We ask him to help us to reorder our lives. And when we do that, then we're walking and abiding in Christ. And he can take us, and he can use our job, and he can use this activity, and he can use this relationship. He can use your bank account. He can, he can do amazing things through your life. And you can have a full life, and you can enjoy all of those things. But only if they're surrendered and submitted to the Lord Jesus. Because without him, you can do nothing. John 15, you can do nothing. So if you're tired of all of that, and we're coming up on the busiest season where every, you know, the decorations and the gifts and the, you know, it's just, it's just a world of Amazon. Just, just, we're just Amazoning things across states, lines right now, right? But we're spending a lot of time on our computers, just sending stuff and receiving things and tracking things. And maybe we're going to stores or whatever we're doing. Are you, are you shopping and are you sending and are you using Amazon to the glory of God? And if you're not, then you need to change that. And if you don't remember who God is and if you're not trusting him, if your faith is, is very weak right now, it's because you don't know him. And so you need to be in God's word. You, read, you need to read these stories about what he has done in the life of Egypt and the life of uh, the Israelites in Egypt and read the story, keep, keep going. Read through the rest of the Pentateuch and read through Joshua and Judges and read through Ruth and get in the first and second Samuel. There's amazing stories of God's, of God as, as, as the, the one who fights for his people, that he's a man of war. So he's a God of war. So get into, get into the Chronicles and just keep going through the scriptures. Read these stories. Be encouraged by, oh, I, I, I read that a long time ago. I forgot about that. Thank you, Lord. And you're remembering who he is and then you're walking through your day differently. You're not fearing. You're not shrinking back. You're standing firm. Right? And you're being still when things start to come at you. You're, you're silent and you're still and you're watching God do the work. And then God says, go forward. And then you'll know this is what God wants me to do because I'm spending time with him. I recognize this. I recognize this in my life. I know that's a trap for me, so I'm not going to go over there. Right? Let's, let's remember the great salvation of our Lord. Let's live in light of it. Next week, we're going to talk about um, actually crossing through the Red Sea, this great act, really, of faith. It made it to the Hall of Faith in Hebrews 11 of God's people walking through on dry land and how that impacts uh, their journey moving forward. So please spend time with the Lord. Consider these things. Um, next week, we have a, a baptism. Um, so we'll be... Um, baptizing someone in our church family. And if anyone else would like to be baptized, if you've never been baptized before, if you've given your life to Christ um, and you've never made a public profession, a public proclamation out of obedience to Christ, um, it doesn't confer salvation, but it just is a, um, it's an external um, profession um, of what you've already believed in your heart. And so we will uh, baptize uh, next Sunday. If you'd like to be baptized, please contact me. I've got cards out at the welcome desk. I'd uh, love for you to be a part of that. As we, as, we, as we look at the Israelites passing from death to life through the Red Sea, it's, it's a beautiful picture uh, of the people of God being baptized into Moses, as we see in 1 Corinthians. And then ultimately it's a foreshadowing of us being baptized in Christ, um, dying with him, and then being raised to walk in the newness of life with him. So... Um, Please let me know if you'd like to be a part of that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, for truth. I pray that you would help our hearts 
to understand uh, whatever was taken from this morning. Father, may we walk in light of it. May you help us to obey. Lord, help us not to walk in fear, but to be faithful men and women. Increase our faith, Lord. Help us. Help us, Lord, to be assured of what we hope for, to be convicted, to be convinced of the things that are not seen, to to please you by walking in faith, not walking in fear. We can't do both together. Help us to fear you and you alone, not the things around us. Help us to stand firm in the midst of all that's taking place, to put on the full armor of God, and not and not just to do some external things to try to help us along. Lord, we know that we were not saved by works. And Father, um, the works that we now do, Lord, are an outflow. They are the fruit of the work of the Holy Spirit that it's in us. And so help us to live a life that is full of gratitude and thanksgiving. And when we do that, Lord, we will be bowed down and worship before you instead of complaining to you of the things that we don't have. Please forgive us, Lord, for having our life prioritized around us instead of you. Help us with that. It's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. It's going to be painful to take things out of our calendars, to take things out, or to move things around. I know that's going to be hard for everyone. Please help us not just to give lip service to this or say, I'll do it January 1st. Father, we have no knowledge of what our life is going to be like the next few weeks. Father, So help us to be worshipful, to be mindful each and every day, that you are God in heaven, that your will will be done ultimately, Father. You are the one to receive glory. We praise you, we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this teaching from the Word of God. If you don't have a church home, we invite you to visit Black Forest Chapel in Black Forest, Colorado, near Monument and just north of Colorado Springs. You'll find biblical teaching and authentic worship in an environment that feels like family and friends. Get directions and more information at blackforestchapel.org.